listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. visiting us maybe for the uh, first time this morning or maybe you're newer to our uh, family here at South Point, I just want to say welcome. I'm really glad that you're here. My name is Keith and uh, <clears throat> I'm, on, I'm on staff here at South Point, one of the uh, guys on staff and uh, I'm not Mark. Uh, Mark, our pastor, Mark and Mandy are both in Colorado today visiting family there and uh, so I'm Get the incredible privilege of being able to walk with you through the second half of Daniel chapter 6. We'll look at that together. Mark did an incredible job last week of taking us through, um, <clears throat> through the first 18 verses of Daniel chapter 6. I'll pick up in verse 19. I appreciate Haley reading that for us this morning as well. Uh, what a great time to be able to come together uh, in God's word to bring our hearts before uh, the Father and to his word and to one another. So I'm very thankful for this time that we have t- uh, together. If you didn't, uh, you have not heard Mark's message from last week, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it. Did a great job of walking us through that text up to uh, verse 19. He left us with Daniel in the den. And so we're going to get him out this morning. So if you were kind of stressing all week, wondering what was going to happen, we're going to get him out. So spoiler alert right there from the very beginning. But uh, yeah, I would love for you to go back and listen to his message. He does a great job as every week. He's phenomenal at what he does. And let's see what else did he say, ask me to say. Oh, yeah, and he's the greatest preacher I've ever sat under. So um, <clears throat> is that, yeah, that's it. Okay, good. Um, no, I really do encourage you to go back and uh, pull up to that part of it. So last week we learned, we've been in Daniel for a while. This is, uh, as we said earlier, our last week in Daniel uh, for the Advent season. We start Advent next week. But last week, we learned that Daniel is coming towards the end of his life at this point in time. So when Daniel goes into exile from Jerusalem, leaving his family, going with uh, the people that had been uh, kidnapped, basically, and and taken into Babylon uh, from Jerusalem, he's now serving under his third king. So he's coming towards the end of his life. So he goes to Babylon as a young teenager, 13 to 16 years old, somewhere around in there. So if you just want perspective, I asked my friends here in the front row, 13 to 16 age, right? So just take a look. Can you just turn around and wave to everybody for me? Just take a good look. You didn't turn around, Bart. Yeah, all right. So just get a good picture. This is how old Daniel is when he goes to Babylon, all right? And now he's old. So if you're old, maybe you could wave to us. We'll get a good perspective of someone who's old. Um, Older than me. He's in his at least 70s, if not 80s by this time. So here we are all these years later in the book of Daniel, uh, in Daniel's life, he was lived in a culture that was harsh to those who want to follow God, right? He's in a very harsh culture to anyone that he would want to follow God. And so as we go through the book of Daniel, as we come up to this point, I'm curious, uh, as we end this part, of the, uh, this part of the series, what has been impactful for you? I thought about doing a recap, Daniel 1 till now, but I'm curious for you, what has been over the last, from week one, chapter one, up till last week, what are some words that you would use to describe Daniel? What are some things that have stood out to you in the life of Daniel? Courageous. Courageous. Yeah. A man of prayer. A man of prayer. Faithful. Faithful. Good. Submissive. Submissive. Yeah. Over here. Persistent. Persistent. Yeah. What else? Gracious. Gracious. 
humble. You guys are doing great. Let's close in prayer. Thank you for being here today. <laughs> there we got anyone else? Unwavering. Unwavering. Great word. Yeah. <clears throat> kind of the phrase that comes to my mind. I've never read this book, so if it's a bad book, don't, don't say anything to me later. I've never read it, but I love the title by Eugene Peterson. It says, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Uh, I think that really sums up Daniel pretty well, right? From this age, now in his 80s, and he's been faithful, consistent, unwavering, uh, humble all the way through. One of the things that stood out to me last week, and um, you were talking about prayer, one of the things that stood out to me last week in this passage from Daniel is Daniel's response in uh, verse 10 of uh, chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn back to verse 10, or you can read here on the screen together. One thing that stands out to me is his response. He finds out that they are going to, they pass this law. This law is he can't pray for 30 days, but only to King Darius. So he's been set up by these uh, guys who hate him. Uh, they wanted to be rulers. They didn't like that Daniel was going to be the ruler or over them. And so they create this law that's going to get him thrown into the lion's den. And so here's what we find out when we read this together. It says in verse 10, <clears throat> when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. I think it's interesting. One thing that stands out about that is that he was continually, he was praying towards Jerusalem, right? After all these years, after all these years, he never lost his desire to be home. He never, he stayed tender to his desire to be back there. Um, <clears throat> I imagine that his longing for home actually probably grew stronger over the years, not less. Three times a day, he faces Jerusalem to pray. And then what type of prayer does he pray? If we didn't have this text in front of us right here, and you had to fill in the blank of what he would say, uh, how would you fill it in? He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed, and what type of prayer would you imagine he would pray? What type of prayer would you pray, knowing that the lion's den is coming? Desperate, Desperate prayer, yeah. Someone over here said something. Protection. For protection, yeah. Yeah, I think I would beg God to get me out of trouble, right? I think I would say, hey, can you rescue me? Stop the bad guys. Take away the suffering. What, what does it say he says? And he gave thanks. Is that interesting? This is after he finds out that he's you know, very likely going to the lion's den. He gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So we also see just in this place the two things to notice is that he had a long obedience in the same direction. So many of the things that you just said a minute ago. Uh, that The pattern of Daniel's life, even in exile and in this harsh culture, is one of two words I always sum it up with, tenderness and thankfulness. After all these years of being in a very harsh culture, he had a heart that continued to stay tender and thankful. So here's the question that comes to my mind as I read this. What does Daniel believe about God that enables his faithfulness? What has helped him stay faithful and tender and thankful over all these years and courageous and unwavering in his faith? What enables Daniel? What does he believe about God that enables his faithfulness? <clears throat> what keeps him longing for home as he's waiting in Babylon? When, um, <clears throat> when I was a youth pastor several years ago, we would take our youth group. I was in Texas. We'd take our youth group down to Mexico for a trip uh, every summer. And while we were there, uh, the missionary who was there, he would take us to this potter's workshop. It was a big complex, so he had all the, the clay that was in there just on the ground. He would start from putting it in water and go through the whole process. And as you get towards the end of the process uh, with the potter, 
he would, uh, we'd take us into this room, and the potter would sit there with this bowl. And he had a paintbrush, and he was painting these designs on the bowl and going around and painting it. And we would kind of gather in. And then the missionary turned to us, and he would say, what color is he painting the bowl? And we would look at the paint in the bucket. We would look at the brush, the tip of the brush. We would look at the bowl itself. And the paint in the bucket was orange. The end of the brush was orange. The bowl, the designs were orange. And we would say, orange, right? And he would look at the, uh, he looked at the potter and he said, sir, excuse me, uh, what color are you painting the bowl? And the potter looked up and said, green. Right? And he looks at us and he goes, he, he said he's painting it green. Who, do you, who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust your senses? Are you going to trust what you see? Are you going to trust your answer? Or are you going to trust the potter? And because it was a church group trip, we all said, uh, Jesus. And so, um, <laughs> so we knew that was the answer. And so we didn't was in Mexico. So it actually was his name. So it was kind of interesting. But he, um, <laughs> yeah, so the potter, the potter had access to a reality and an experience that our senses and our eyes and our vision did not have access to, right? Does that make sense? The potter, he had a reality, access to a reality and an experience that our senses and our eyes and our vision did not have access to. The potter's reality was based in a future that he knew that we didn't know. So when we went to the end of the process and he took that bowl that he had finished painting and he put it through the fire again, he brought it out, guess what color the, he was painting? Green, yeah. Um, you're supposed to say Jesus, but that's all right. So... Yeah. So is that the same thing for Daniel? What does Daniel know? What does he believe? What does he see? Is there something that he knows about reality that maybe we wouldn't be able to see? So we're in chapter six this week. Um, like I said, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be in chapter seven through 12. And in this part of the Bible, it takes a, the, the story of Daniel takes a kind of interesting turn. We go from this narrative language, narrative, we've got these stories that are happening, and we move into uh, what we call apocalyptic um, I can't say that word very well, apocalyptic literature, right? So a lot of times when we think about this type of literature, we think about the end of the world as we know it, right? But what it really means is that something is going to be revealed, something's going to be unveiled to us. So when we think about this language uh, in scripture, we're looking at the, the curtains of heaven are pulled back and we begin to be able to get a glimpse of what heaven's perspective is as it looks at earth. So the curtains are going to be pulled back and we're going to see things from heaven's perspective, what is really happening in the world. And so this is important because we know that in answering our question, what does Daniel know that keeps him, from, uh, that keeps him faithful in Babylon? We'll find out when we get to chapter 7, and as we read through the rest of that part, that Daniel's visions and his ability to see what was going on from heaven's perspective has already been happening in Daniel's life. We see that in chapter 1, he was already gifted in this area. We'll see this in chapter 7. It starts off, we actually go back in time. So from a timeline perspective, at the end of chapter 6, Daniel is in his 80s, late 70s or 80s. In chapter 7, we go back in time to the second king he was under. Does that make sense? So he's already having these visions. We get to chapter 9, and it's the same time frame as what's happening in chapter 6. He's already beginning to experience uh, conversations with angels. They're helping him out. And so in this part, we see that, uh, that Daniel has already been able to see something that is revealed of what reality is. God is pulling back the curtain for him. He's letting him see things from heaven's perspective. So what does Daniel know that keeps him faithful uh, during this time? So to get a clue what's happening in Daniel's heart when this law about prayer in the lion's den comes down, we can look at chapter 9, and we see what nine, uh, Daniel is doing in chapter 9. We're not going to go through it today. Uh, 
Mark will preach through the end times at another time. He's got great charts. I've already seen them. He's going to explain it all to us, so I'm excited. Um, <clears throat> but we'll get a clue what's happening in Daniel's heart if you look at chapter 9. He's got a front row seat to what is real, not from earth's perspective, but from heaven's perspective. So he sees the Ancient of Days on his throne. He sees the Son of Man who has been given power. He sees the Father and the Son. He sees his glory. He sees his power. And at this point in Daniel's life, he has had conversations already with angels who have helped explain things to him. We see in chapter 9 that he is confessing his sin as he reads scripture. He stays a heart that is tender to his own sin and his own life. He's looking, he's reading the book of Jeremiah. He's going back to Moses. He's reading the law. He's looking at other prophets and he's looking at promises. And he's trying to figure out what in the world is going on because it looks kind of bleak from his perspective, right? So as he begins to read these things, he is already reading about a new Jerusalem, and he's reading about the promises of a Messiah. Not only has he read about these things, but he's seen it. He's seen it. How powerful is it to be able to see from heaven's perspective for Daniel? Daniel has seen a reality that something better is coming. Just kind of as a side note, we see him confessing there, and we see his heart. I think three things that I think are a mark for all of us as believers, as followers of, of God. When we see from heaven's perspective, it keeps us tender, it keeps us teachable, and it keeps us thankful, right? We stay tender, we stay teachable, and we stay thankful. And this is kind of where we see Daniel, Daniel is at this point, right? So my point today, thankfully, is not in order to stay faithful, you have to have visions and dreams. We'd be in trouble, most of us. Maybe a few of us would be okay. But that's not the point, right? <clears throat> in this part, we get a good idea about how Daniel is able to stay faithful and courageous and it's something that we all need. We all need a faith that is assured in our hope in heaven's reality. We all need a faith that we are assured in the hope of heaven's reality. Daniel, to see where real, he, Daniel is allowed to see where real life is. And that is in being connected to the Father. He's able to see where real life is found. Connection with God is real life. This is life. Does this make sense? So he sees a vision in heaven. He sees this is real. This is life. And that heart attitude of his, be able to see that and his vision of that allows him to stay faithful when things don't look great. So what Daniel sees is real. The rest of the world might look like, <laughs> the rest of the world could look at our situation and say, this is orange. Daniel had the ability to see that, no, God is really at work in all of these things. He, sat, he had eyes that saw reality. So let me say it another way. In verse 10, we see that Daniel believed that there was something worse than the lion's den. Right? In verse 10, we see that Daniel believed that there was something worse than the lion's den. What's worse? What's worse than the lion's den? What's worse than suffering? Not being connected to the Father. That's worse than the lion's den. Not being connected to the Father. Real life is found in being connected to the Father. So we pick up in verse 19 uh, today, this morning, as we go through our, uh, the rest of this chapter. We know in verse uh, 18, uh, King Darius is really concerned. He's not sure what's going to happen to Daniel. He's, he, uh, in the psychology world, we call it he's dysregulated. He can't sleep. He can't eat. He's distraught. And usually he would use diversions in his life. It says that he didn't even call in all the diversions that he would usually have. He was just really worried and sleepless through the night. All right? So then we get to verse 19. Haley read, for, uh, read it for us earlier. It says, Then at daybreak, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The, the king declared to Daniel, 
Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? This is an interesting place when he asks him, you know, when he says serve continuously, because it's a pattern. We're back to the thing that we talked about earlier, a long obedience in the same direction, right? He's going to say that even before he goes to the lion's den in, um, in verse 16. He says, Daniel, may the God that you serve continuously save you from the lion's. And when he shows up at this point, he looks at Daniel and says, Daniel, has the God that you serve continuously saved you from the lions? We know that Darius was around 60 uh, plus years old when he became king. So he had seen the pattern of Daniel's life up to this point in time. He has seen his obedience and the way that he served and the way that he treated other people. We see, uh, saw from last week earlier in the, in the chapter, as Mark was saying, that he had a, there was a different spirit about Daniel who was able to love and serve others well. So Babylon's king over the years, in this point, they had the power to throw Daniel into the lion's den, but they never had the power to keep him from being connected to real life, to God. Right? And when Darius shows up, he mentions his, before Daniel, you, you serve continuously. Now he shows up, and may, the God that you serve continuously, has he been able to save you? And we see that Daniel never lost his ability to stay connected to God. We see that in chapter, or in verse 10. We see that through the prayers that he has in the, in the 7 through 12 in those chapters, if you looked at that. And so here is Daniel, who Darius had the power. Those guys had the power to trick and set him up and get him thrown into the lion's den. But he, they never had the power to keep him from being connected to God and serving him by putting God's character on display. Do you ever feel powerless? you have any situations from this past week where you just felt powerless? Where you wanted control and it just wasn't happening? I would imagine that Daniel felt some of those places where he felt powerless, but one of the places he never felt powerless, no matter what his circumstance was, was to stay connected to the heart of God. He always had the power to stay connected to the heart of God, and he always had the power to continue to put his character on display in the way that he served. Are you with me? Yeah. Daniel was living in a larger story than Babylon. Right? He was living heaven's story. And whatever the smaller story of what was happening on earth, he was connected to a larger story. And he was able to live out a larger story, heaven's story, to be able to put God's glory on display. He lived for something better than self-protection or comfort. I don't know about you, but when I move into those areas where I feel powerless, I just want to do something that I feel like I have control. I can move towards things of self-protection. I can move towards comfort. I can move towards distractions. I can move in all kinds of ways. But there was a greater purpose than making life work in Babylon for Daniel. He was waiting he was willing to wait in Babylon with an ache and a longing for a better home, while at the same time making God known by serving him well. He was able to serve and wait and long for Jerusalem and live with an ache of not being home and put God's story on display in the way that he served and related to other people. Right? Daniel was not sidetracked by whatever blessings or promises of blessings or whatever trials or ways to escape uh, trials came his way. Over the years, nothing stopped his desire to know God and his delight in telling God's story. Nothing stopped him. His desire to know God and his delight in telling God's story. And this is where Daniel's life and my life tend to differ, if I'm honest with you this morning. Right? If I'm honest with you, when I read the book of Daniel, my belief of where real life is found is challenged. Because Daniel says, real, real, real life is found in being connected to the Father. I think David in Psalm 73 
had some of the same uh, challenges. He looks around. If you read Psalm 73, the, the majority of the book is David looking around at everyone else. And, he's, and he prays. He's like, God, I know that you're good. But it seems like the wicked people are winning. Seems like they're getting away with it. You ever feel that way? <laughs> yeah. Some years ago, I was, um, I was sitting at the, uh, on the square in McDonough. I was going to meet someone at Grits. And I got there super early. And as I was sitting there, <clears throat> I was looking at the courthouse. And, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to be one of those guys that's like knows where everything used to be. You know, and especially like that area of, of McDonough has changed drastically. So I'm sitting there, I was looking at the courthouse, and I was just, in my mind's eye, I was kind of remembering where everything used to be. <clears throat> and the courthouse is bigger now. There used to be a gas station on the corner, and now it's all courthouse. And back over where the big courthouse complex is now, there used to be a lumber yard. And as a kid growing up, I would go to that lumber yard often because my uncle was a, uh, that I kind of lived with, was a carpenter. And so that was where we would go. And behind the courthouse, behind the new, where the courthouse is now, the big one, all that area down there was the fairgrounds, the Ferris wheels and all that. You could, you know, pop a balloon and get a mirror with kiss on it, you know, like those type of things. And so that's where the fairground used to be. And over here on this corner, there's a church on the, beside the courthouse. And I was looking at the church and I was like, oh, the church is the same size, right? But the courthouse is bigger. The fairgrounds are gone. The jail is bigger. The other courthouse is bigger. And going down this way, there used to be a vegetable and fruit stand. It's not there anymore. Now there's a courthouse. And I went, and I look back at the church, right? And I'm like, and the church is the same size. And I got really discouraged. It was a horrible breakfast that I don't even, I don't remember who I met with, but I remember that moment. I just remember sitting there going, God, are you, are we winning? Are things really going the right way? The church seems to be the same size, and the courthouse is growing. It doesn't feel like we're winning. So when David in Psalm 73 is looking around, it's like, it seems like the wicked people are winning. It seems like nothing is going wrong in their lives. They don't suffer. They don't have any pain in life. They're in good shape. They're wearing great clothes. They have good bodies. They look nice. They're having fun. The word there, he says, their hearts overflow with follies. They're doing whatever they want. You know, David's running and hiding in caves. They have the life of ease while I'm struggling. And he goes, and all this thing, I've been good, I've been following you, and it seems like it's really in vain. It seems like it's good for nothing because I'm not getting the result that I thought I was really going to get. I thought life was going to be better by now. I thought my marriage would be better. I thought my ability to follow and be obedient would be better. I thought the preacher would be better. There's so many different things that I, I thought would be better. That last part about the preaching being better was a joke. All right. <clears throat> he goes, I'm, I'm, I'm being good. It doesn't seem like it's working out because they are living the high life. They're, it seems like they're doing things that are really good. If you're older, if you raised your hand when I asked uh, who's older, maybe you remember this. It's an old country song. She got the gold mine. I got the shaft. There you go. Again. Yeah. <laughs> you know that song, Richard? Yeah, good. <laughs> she got the gold mine, I get the shaft. And you kind of get the sense that this is what David is saying right here. It's like, man, they're getting the gold. I'm getting the shaft. It's not going in my direction. But, 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 very similar to verses that we read earlier today in Psalm 91. At the end of Psalm 73, David says, I was tempted to be bitter and to be discouraged 
because they have the life of less pain and more pleasure, and that life looks really good, except it's like the first song we sing. There's something better than a life of more blessings and less sufferings. In Psalm 73, verse 28, he says, but for me, it's funny because David actually says, if the, if the children could hear me talking right now, they would all walk away from God. <laughs> That's kind of where he is in his discouragement. And then he says in verse 28, but for me, but for me, but for me, it is good to be near God. If you're not there, I don't want to be. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of your works. It seems like they're winning, like they're getting away with it. But for me, it's good to be near God, that the Lord my God is my refuge. Because when he is my refuge, then I get to tell of your works. And this seems to be Daniel's conclusion as he continuously serves is that I get to be connected to the Father and I get to tell his story regardless of what the, my week has been like. Because let's be honest, if you're looking for is more pleasure and less pain, more good stuff, less suffering, more blessings and less trials, if that's the life you're looking for, Babylon's got a pretty good formula. Right? If that's the lifestyle you want, Babylon looks pretty good. And after all this time, as those temptations are coming to Daniel to conform to that or to be bitter and throw a fist up in his heart, he stays tender. He waits with faithfulness, with a desire to be connected to God and a delight to continue to tell his story. That lifestyle looks good. It's just one problem. It's not life. And David was looking around because it looks like they're living the life except for one problem. It's not really life. Being connected to God is the life. From heaven's perspective, we are told to wait. Something good, something better is actually coming. It doesn't take lions <laughs> to get me to move away from life, from connection to the Father. It doesn't take the threat of being thrown into the lion's den to get me to move away from connection and move, move towards self-protection or to be angry or to amp up to move against people or to move away, to go into a silent treatment time, you know, to move, use sarcasm, to use the silent treatment, to be angry, to, be dis to use distractions, to numb. Someone stop me at some point in time when I get to something that is your way. Think back through your week. More than likely, by a show of hands, I think we would get zero, you were tempted to be thrown into a lion's den. Next week, however, Pat, and uh, yeah, you guys might be, uh, you might see some lions, but probably will not be you'll probably not go into a place where you're going to be uh, persecuted in that way, right? But someone might say something you don't like, right? And what happens? Is there a faithfulness in me? Is there something in me that says I can stay connected to the Father and I can still serve? I can still love? Those are the places. It's an amazing response that Daniel has as we continue the story when the king looks in and says, Daniel, are you okay? Uh, we pick up in verse 21 here. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. Do you hear the tenderness in that? The concern? It's funny because when the other leaders, the other officials go to the king, they approach him by saying, O king, for, you know, live forever. You can hear a tone of manipulation in their voice, right? And in Daniel, you could hear his heart for the king. O king, live forever. He stays tender. 
I think I would not have responded this way. I think for me, it would have gone two, uh, one or two other ways. I think part of it would have been like, yeah, I'm good. How you like me now? <laughs> right? I'm winning. That's right. I'm good. I've got it. I won. You know, like, <laughs> glory to God after the fact. Or I might be like, yeah, I'm still alive. Hurry up. Get me out of here before it's over. Maybe I would have moved towards panic or I would have moved towards gloating. The king had a tone of anguish, right? But Daniel remains tender and he remains thankful. We don't exactly know his tone, but we can infer from all that we've read about him in the, uh, before that he might, again, we said this earlier, he might have felt powerless to keep from being thrown into the lion's den, but he never uh, lost the power to be able to respond and put God's love on display. He never lost the power to stay connected to God and move towards the Father's heart and then to love. In verse 22, as we continue the story, he says, My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. I have done nothing, no harm to you. We know that, Daniel, this is not his first time to, um, to see angels. He has talked to angels before. Uh, this time, we see that through uh, chapter 7 through 12. But he was able to see what was real, that he had the angel there that was for him. It reminds me of the story in 2 Kings chapter 6 with Elisha. Anybody remember the story of what happens there? Elisha, the king of Aram, has sent his army. He wants to kill Elisha. He is surrounding Elisha. And his servant wakes up and goes outside, and he sees the army, all these, uh, an incredible strong force, it says, with chariots and horses, and they're there with their spears, and they're going to capture Elisha, and finally, they've got him. He's surrounded. It's over. And the servant goes and wakes Elisha up, and he said, Elisha, we're doomed. There's an incredible army. And Elisha, I'm not sure if he even got out of bed or not. He's like, oh, God, can you just open his eyes and give me a few more minutes? And so when he opens his eyes, what does he see? What's the servant seeing? Yeah, God's army, a bigger army. Chariots of fire. What else could he see? I think he could still see the other army, but he could see a greater reality, right? <clears throat> he could see a greater reality of what was going on. So as we uh, continue this, when we know that he sees the um, Elisha servant, he doesn't stop seeing the other army, but he saw a larger story was happening. The lions were real for Daniel, but there was something more real. We always fear what we think has power to control. We always fear what we think has power to control. So Daniel doesn't answer the king with fear because he knows that something is more real is happening from heaven's perspective. He knew God's power, and his desire and delight was to tell the king about his God to make the reality of him known. When I think about this place of what's real, uh, there's a, a video, maybe some of you guys have seen it, of a little kid. He's, uh, when you see the video at first, he's holding on to this rope, and this water is like up to his chin, and he's drowning. He's like kicking, and he's screaming. He's just going crazy. And then uh, this girl comes over, maybe about 10 years old or so, probably his sister, and she grabs his legs as they're hanging onto the rope, and this kid is just drowning. And when you see her coming to, and you're thinking, this is horrible, this kid is not okay. And then the, the sister comes in, the water's only up to her knees, right? and she grabs his legs, and she just puts them on the ground, and he stands up. <laughs> and the water's like not even to his waist, and he just has this looks like, you know, like, I didn't know. And so I get this kind of idea, you know, there's these moments in our lives where it feels like the water's up to the chin, it's all going, and, but there is a reality that's greater than our circumstance in that moment. If we could have heaven's perspective, the sister comes to rescue him. There is a bigger reality. So in Czech Republic, 
Uh, we lived there for, for many years, and it's one of the most atheistic countries in the world. And one of the things we would hear from Czechs pretty often is we told them about our faith and uh, that we believed in God. <clears throat> is they said, I don't need that. I don't need to believe that there is a God. My life is okay. Things are going pretty well. Again, Babylon has a really good formula if you want life to go well, right? And they said, I don't, I don't need to have faith in God in order for my life to turn out okay. My life is going pretty good. I don't need to believe in God. And I said, do, do you think I believe and have faith because I need help in my life? And they're like, yeah, anyone that would believe in religion, they're just trying to get, make you know, things work out better. And I said, I, actually, I don't believe in God because he helps me. I don't believe in God because I need to believe in God. I believe in God because he's real, right? In other words, I don't believe that I have a heartbeat by faith. I know that I have a heartbeat. So I don't need to believe that there's a heartbeat in me in order to get through my day. My heartbeat is already happening. It's real. And so this place of being able, they would say, I don't need God because it's not relevant for me. And, you know, the answer that we would often give is, can we look and see that he's actually real? We're not saying you need him to get through your day. That's how you get through your day. He's real. And so with Daniel, we see kind of this idea that his faith is based in reality because of something that he knew was real. So next we look at verse 23. <clears throat> the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no, no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted his God. No kind of harm is found on him. I love the king's uh, gladness in that moment. And then verse 24, we're not going to cover that this morning. Uh, the kids uh, in the kids' room are actually doing a color page, um, coloring page on, on verse 24, and they'll bring that home. You can discuss that later as a family. It'll be real exciting <clears throat> for you guys. Um, uh, yeah, we, we got those passed out earlier. So um, verse 25, verse 25, we'll see the response. What happens here uh, at the end? The response in verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. What a great missionary words, right? Great mission. This is the missionary hope. This is what we kind of hang everything on. These words are, are going to repeat, be repeated by uh, John. He writes the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible. He has studied Daniel. There's a lot of uh, references to Daniel in the book of Revelation. So Daniel was very familiar with Daniel's story. And in Revelation, it's the same type of literature. We get a glimpse of heaven's perspective as we look back onto earth. And heaven's perspective, one of the things that Daniel, I mean, that, uh, excuse me, that John says when he's in, um, talking about Jesus, he says, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. You were slain, and by your blood, <clears throat> you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Seems like a direct, here's the fulfillment. Remember Daniel? Remember what you were doing at that point, and the decree went out, Jesus is going to make it come true. There's something better coming. There's something good coming. It is going to happen. People are going to come uh, to the Lord from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And that's why we go, right? That's why we go to King. That's why we go, and we long to be a part of God's bigger story in this. So here we are. Uh, Daniel has a, uh, the king now has a different perspective because he's been able to see God's goodness in this. And he's going to, uh, Daniel's going to tell us something um, about, about Jesus through these verses as we look at this. So in a few minutes, we are going to, um, we're going to take communion. Uh, not quite yet, so don't start shutting down yet. But we're going to take communion in just a few minutes. And when we do, 
we're going to remember what Christ has done for us on the cross. It's very similar. If we look back in Revelation chapter 5, it says, from heaven's perspective, we see that because of the line of Judah, the root of David, who has conquered and he is worthy. It seems to be just a reference right back to what Daniel is saying to us here. So let me take just a couple more, uh, make a couple more observations about this text, and we'll go back to our original question of what sustained Daniel all these years to faithfully stay connected to God and to tell his story? What sustained Daniel all these years to stay faithfully connected to God and to tell his story? There are several incredible similarities to Jesus as he goes to the cross and in Daniel's story in chapter 6. Daniel had seen into heaven. He knew what was real. He had seen the Son of Man. He has seen the promises of the Messiah, and Daniel longs for us to see him too. So in both, in both stories, in Daniel chapter 6, and then also in the story when we see it as Jesus going to the cross, in both cases there were people who wanted Daniel killed, and we know that there were people that wanted Jesus killed, right, the leaders. And in both cases they were innocent. Both went willingly. Both prayed, one with a face towards Jerusalem, the other one with a face towards heaven. And here's where the stories are a little bit different. When Jesus prayed, angels show up. When Jesus prayed, the angels showed up. When Daniel, when he prayed, he's just praying by faith when he gets to the lion's den. That's when the angels show up, right? In Jesus' case, the angels show up that give him strength to continue to serve wholeheartedly, to, to go to the cross, right? Jesus said he could have called 10,000 angels to come to his rescue, but he doesn't. Unlike Daniel, he does send the angel to help rescue him. Both were put into an enclosure that had a stone rolled over it. Both had accusers that thought that this was the end of the story. And Daniel went in and alive, and he comes out alive. Jesus, however, suffering on the cross, taking our sin, dies. But praise God, he comes out alive. Because there's a bigger reality. There's a bigger story. Jesus, after his resurrection, he gathers his followers, and he tells them that he has all authority something that Daniel had already seen. And he commands them to go to all nations and make disciples. And he tells them something very interesting. He tells them about a reality that is core and that's key to what we've been talking about this whole morning. He says, I will be with you. I will be with you. You will never lose. A lot of things are going to happen to you. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but you'll never lose your power to stay connected to me. I will be with you. And you can tell my story. I wish we had time this morning to look at Hebrews chapter 11 and 12. We're not going to look at it today. But I would encourage you to read it later. It's a great look at, back at Daniel and other people who live by faith, some who were rescued and many who were not. But each of them lived by faith because they believed in a reality that something better was coming, that their connection to God was actually life. Where do you find life? More blessings, less suffering, or connection to the Father with a delight to tell his story? Something better is coming. And it gives them the power to wait, to endure, no matter what the circumstances are happening there. I mentioned this missionary back in Mexico. When we would go, uh, when we would go there, uh, he was just a great guy who had a huge impact on our lives. And we, uh, when he passed away, I went to his funeral and, and you know, traveled to, to uh, the church where he was having the funeral for him. And I go up to the uh, casket and I look in, he's laying there and he has a fork in his hand. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> And I'm thinking, all right, what goofball put a fork in this guy's hand? And, you know, I, should I take it out? Like, is this weird? Like, what's going on? The other thing that was weird about this funeral, too, is I didn't know this about him, but he had a twin brother. All right, so when I walked into the church, there he was standing. 
And I'm not kidding you, my knees buckled and I fell because I thought, all right. I knew he was an awesome dude, but I didn't know he was like that awesome. So anyway, so he's laying there with a fork in his hand. And uh, so the guy who did the, we were sitting there and the guy who was preaching the funeral finally gets up and he, um, he says, you might've noticed a fork in his hand. And we we're all like, yeah, what's that about? And he said, he wanted me, he, a few weeks ago, as he was telling me, you know, that he was going to die, and he was telling me what he wanted to happen at his funeral, and he said, I want to be buried with a fork in my hand, not because I love to eat, but when I was a kid growing up, when I was at my grandmother's house, she would clean the plate, and she would lean down and whisper in my ear, keep your fork. Hold on to your fork, because something better is coming. Something good's coming. The dessert was coming. And this is what he wanted us to know at his funeral, something better and more real than better blessings and less trials, something that allows us to live now with power to stay connected to God and tell his story. In other words, we're in. The Father and the Son are inviting us in to the relationship that they have with one another. We're in. So this morning as we take communion, I just want to say this. As we look, we'll say the words, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. As we come to this, we can be thankful and we remember that his body is broken for us. His body is broken. What does that mean? It means that all of our sin goes into him. Our sin goes onto him, into him. He takes it at a cellular level. He receives our sin fully. How much of our sin does he take on the cross? Huh? All of it. All of it. What about your sins next week? He's got them. His body was broken. What about your sins from this past week? All of them, right? Because if he doesn't take all of them, we're not in. It's really important that he takes all of it. And then from his body that is broken, his blood comes out. And it comes onto us and it comes into us. And then his blood, we know that we have his righteousness. How much of his righteousness? All of it. And it's really important. Because if we don't have all of it, we're not in. This is life. Regardless of what else is happening in our circumstances and everything else, this is life. And we get to take communion together and rejoice. There's no connection. If there's no connection, there's no life. Unless he takes all of my sin, unless I get all of his, his righteousness. So this table this morning is for all that believe by faith that this is life, that he has your sin that you have his righteousness. If there is something in you that says yes to that, I want life, I believe that, my, that he has my sin, that I have his righteousness, then this is our time. And I invite you to come to the table with tender and thankful hearts to come and receive. But can I also say this? Please don't do this if you're just going through the motions. Right? Don't just do it because it's what we do at the end of the service. Come to remember and receive and rejoice that your sins have been forgiven, that you may believe, and that you may have life, real life. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your body that was broken for us, that you took all of our sin. Thank you for your blood that was shed for us, that we receive your righteousness. And Father, I pray for those who have may, maybe never said yes in response to what you're doing in their heart. Father, I pray that we would receive this morning that we believe, that we would come into real life. Father, I pray for those who are suffering. 
that it hasn't been a good week, that it's been tough, that it seems like the world's winning. God, I pray that you would give us courage to wait and endure and to believe that being connected to you is life. And I pray that you would give us the faith and the courage to tell your story because it's a greater story. Your body broken for us. Thank you, Jesus. Your blood shed for us. Thank you. Amen.